mercies, his loving kindness, his faithful mercies. And so these things, I think, will be very helpful to us. So as we look at the psalm, we're going to take a look at the title, which sets the context for us a little bit. We'll say a few things there, and then we will walk through verse 1 through 12 together very briefly. So if you'll turn your attention to the title, it's To the Chief Musician. It's a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So I want us to notice two things here. First of all, it's to the chief musician. This is a reminder to us that it is a part of our worship to confess our sins and to ask God to forgive us of our sins. God is pleased with that prayer. He is glorified. He is worshipped when we humble ourselves before him and come to him and confess our sins and ask him to forgive us of our sins, to recognize the need that we have for him to forgive us of our sins. So this is a psalm for us all. This is a psalm for corporate worship. This is a psalm for every believer. And notice then the occasion in which David is writing this psalm. Again, it's the situation in which he has the adulterous affair with Bathsheba. The thing I want to point out this morning is that the sin that David commits that's behind and working behind that he's confessing in Psalm 51 is not a small sin. Now, we should bring our small sins to the Lord, but Psalm 51 is helpful for us because the sin that David committed was horrendous. It was a horrific sin. It was the kind of sin that, humanly speaking, we we tend to look at and draw a line in the sand and say, I can forgive someone for a lot of things, but what David did, I cannot forgive. I'm not willing to forgive that. It, It crosses a line. The sin that David commits... That he's confessing in Psalm 51 is a horrific sin, a horrendous sin. It's a grievous sin. You remember the whole situation, how David was king in Israel. God had made David king. David was a shepherd boy. God had been very gracious to David. He had been very kind to David. He had exalted David to be king over his special people, Israel. He had made David his messianic king, his anointed king in Israel. All the good things that God did for David. And David abused his office. And he had an adulterous affair with another man's wife, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And he ends up getting her pregnant in the course of this adulterous affair. And he tries to cover it up. And he uses his office as the king of Israel to cover up this crime by murdering her husband. And so the sin that David commits here is great. It's not singular, it's many, and it is very, very deep sin. He commits adultery, he murders a man, and above all, he abuses his office as king of Israel. Well, you'll remember how God confronts David for this sin, how Nathan the prophet is sent to David to confront David, and you'll remember the dramatic scenario that unfolds there as Nathan comes to David and he begins to speak to David sort of mysteriously. He speaks to David in a parable. And you remember the parable that Nathan speaks to David. He says to David, David, there are two people in your land in Israel. There's a rich man and there's a poor man. And both of them have flocks. The rich man has a flock with many sheep. And the poor man has but one sheep. A sheep that he loves. It's his family. He treats this sheep like his own daughter. And he says, David, something horrific has happened in Israel. This rich man has guests who are coming over to his house. But this rich man is so begrudging and so greedy, he's unwilling to sacrifice one of his many sheep for his guest. And what he does is he goes to his neighbor and he robs his neighbor of the one sheep that he holds so dear. 
And he sacrifices this man's sheep to feed his guests. And as Nathan is telling this parable, David is becoming enraged by it. He's angry for the injustice. He says, how dare this rich man take advantage of the poor man in this way? How can this thing be done in Israel, he says. He says to Nathan, give me this man, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but he says to him, he says, give me this man's name and address, and I'll bring down the full weight of the Messianic kingship in my executive office. That man deserves to die. And Nathan has to look at David at that point and say, David... You're the man. You're this, and David suddenly realizes that he, Nathan's not talking about sheep. And he's convicted and he's humbled as he sees what he's done and the horrendous thing that he's done and the death that he deserves for. And he humbles himself and he confesses his sin. He says, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan pronounces uh, forgiveness to David. You remember Nathan says to David, the Lord has put away your sin. Well, it's out of that experience that David writes Psalm 51, this horrific sin, and this deep need that he has for the forgiveness of his sins, and this expression of his sorrow, of his repentance, the confession of his sin, and his request that the Lord would forgive him for what he has done. So it's very helpful for us. We think about David's sin, we think of our own sins, we think of our own need to confess our sins to the Lord. And so we can break this psalm, the body of this psalm, verse 1 through 12, into three sections. In part 1, verse 1 and 2, David prays for forgiveness. This is helpful for us because he defines what forgiveness is and why we need it. In verse 3 through 6, he confesses his sin. He teaches us to confess our sins. Some helpful reminders here. Verse 7 through 12. He prays for fresh reception of the forgiveness that God freely provides in the gospel. He prays for a fresh application of the application of redemption. In fact, it's this third section that's so important for us. Throughout all of this, we see something of the beautiful character of God's mercy. So in verse 1 through 2, David prays for forgiveness. And in doing so, he's essentially defining forgiveness for us and expressing the need that he has for forgiveness from God, divine forgiveness. He needs divine mercy. So look at verse 1 and 2 for me. And we'll read this together. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Forgiveness is a mercy of God whereby God cleanses us, that is, he cancels the punishment that is due our sin. And he promises to remove the sin from us. Forgiveness is a mercy of God, where he blots out sin, he removes or he cancels the punishment and the condemnation, and promises to purge us of the sin itself forever and ever. It is the ultimate mercy of God. It's the ultimate act of goodness. It's the greatest need that a sinner has. For the Lord God of heaven and earth, the righteous and holy judge, to cancel condemnation. Now, we live in cancel culture, so we get the idea of what it means to cancel. In our culture, to cancel something means to put it out of your life, to cut it off. That's what remission of sin is, the canceling of sin. It's a canceling of condemnation. That's what God does. That's what David's praying for. He's praying for the mercy of God. Based on the covenant faithfulness of God's loving kindness. Based on the infinitude and the greatness 
of God's mercy and the tenderness of them, that the Lord would look upon David and have pity upon him and have compassion upon him and remove the guilt, something only God can do, something that no man can do. David does not need Nathan's loving kindness or Bathsheba's loving kindness. He cannot have Uriah's loving kindness because he murdered him. What he needs is divine forgiveness. He needs infinite mercy. He needs God's covenant faithful love. He needs the kind of mercy that only God can show. And so David is pouring out his heart before the Lord. Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to your divine mercies, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out, erase, cancel the condemnation. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me of my guilt. So David goes on then in verse 3 through 6. To confess his sin. He set the stage for us in verse 1 through 2. In verse 3 through 6, he confesses his sin. No one truly asks for forgiveness without confession. Now what's interesting about David's confession here is that his confession is essentially an appeal to God. It's an appeal to God on the basis of God's promises for why God should forgive him. And this is what confession of sin essentially is. It's an appeal to God on the basis of his promises for why he should have mercy upon us. Now you remember that the scriptures, in the scriptures, God promises to forgive the sins that we confess. Proverbs 28, 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And so David, as he confesses his sins, appealing to God on the basis of his promises, that the Lord would forgive him. You can see this in verse 3. He's prayed that the Lord would have mercy upon him. Verse 3, he says, For, because, because why? Because I'm confessing my sin, and Lord, you've promised that those who confess their sins will be forgiven of their sins. For I acknowledge my transgressions, he says in verse 3, and my sin is always before me. David acknowledges his sin. Confession of sin is essentially acknowledging, taking responsibility for our sins. And David here recognizes that his sin is not just one particular act or one particular group of acts that he committed with Bathsheba and the state and with Uriah and so on. But it's something that is ever before him. It's something that he struggles with profoundly. And he's willing to confess this to a holy and a righteous God on the basis of this holy and righteous God's promises. I acknowledge my transgressions. I own them. I take responsibility for them. I struggle with this, he says. It's profoundly a part of me. And I need your mercy, O Lord. And because I acknowledge it, please show me your mercy. Verse 4, he confesses that it's a violation of God's law and deserves just judgment. This is what verse 4 is all about. Against you, he says, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. This is an acknowledgement on David's part before the Lord that he's broken divine law. He didn't break the standard of righteousness or the standard of morality of his own conscience or of Nathan or of Uriah or of Bathsheba or of the state of Israel. He broke God's law before the Lord and he confesses this. His sin is a violation of the Lord's righteousness. It's a violation of the Lord's law. But he also confesses and admits that he deserves punishment. 
He deserves the punishment and the curse of that law. That's what he means when he says that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. David is recognizing that the sin that he has committed deserves temporal punishments, immediate punishments in his life. It deserves death. It deserves eternal condemnation. And his sin deserves the torment and the pain and the anguish that come as part of our eternal condemnation. He's confessing this. His sins are real violations of God's law, and they deserve condemnation, and they deserve punishment. And he acknowledges this. This is part of confession. When we confess our sin, we don't just acknowledge that there is sin. We acknowledge the judgment that is due to our sins. Verse 5, he confesses his depravity. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. Now, David's not here making an excuse. He's not saying, Lord, I sinned, but it's because I was born that way. But he is saying that this sin that he's committed is so profound that he finds it in every aspect of his own being. It reaches the very core of him. David is a, he didn't just sin, he is a sinner. He sinned because he's a sinner. And he desperately needs salvation. He desperately needs the Lord God to renovate him, to make him new. To remove his guilt to the very core of his being. I was brought forth in iniquity, he says. In sin my mother conceived me. He needs salvation from his sin. So he's confessing his sin. He's confessing the punishment of his sin. He's confessing his sinfulness. And then in verse 6, verse 6 is an interesting verse because it's a transitional verse. He is confessing, but he's also expressing hope. Um, But look at what it says. It says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. The future tense there is not in the original. God makes David to know wisdom. The idea is that, on the one hand, David is confessing that the sin that he's committed is against light. God has made known to David wisdom, and yet David still committed the act that he committed The Lord has desired truth in David's inward parts. God was at work in David's life, and David sinned against grace. He sinned against the work that God had done in him. He's confessing this. This is part of his confession. But it's also a plea for forgiveness and hope. Because also what David is acknowledging here is that the Lord has done a work in David's life. And the Lord does desire truth in the inward parts. And God's purpose with David is not to tear David down, but to save David and to build David up. And so in some sense, what David is praying for here is, yes, Lord, I've sinned against light, but Lord, there's light in me. Do not forsake the work of your own hands. Forgive me of my sin. Show me mercy. Show me covenant grace. So he's confessing his sin. It's a powerful confession. And then in verse 7 through 12, and I I realize we're moving so quickly through this. But in verse 7 through 12, he prays for fresh application of the application of redemption. He prays for fresh reception of the forgiveness of his sins. And the reason why David has to pray for the reception of the forgiveness that God freely offers is because David realizes he can't simply receive it in his own strength and his own power. No one receives the grace of God in his own power. The flesh cannot do that. And so David comes to the Lord. He's humbled himself. He's confessed. And now he's praying that the Lord would help him to receive the forgiveness that God gives. And he does this a couple of different ways. And we'll move through this really quickly. 
But this is what 7 through 12 is all about. He says in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David is asking for a fresh application of Christ's blood and righteousness. That's what he's asking for here. He's using this Old Testament figure of hyssop as a type of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, what you would do is you'd take two birds of the same kind, and you would take one of those birds, and you would kill it, and you would sprinkle its blood, you would pour out its blood into a vessel of water and, and hyssop, and then you would take another bird, a living bird, of the same kind, and you would baptize it into that water and blood, and you would sprinkle it on a leper, and it would be for the cleansing of that leper, and then you'd let the bird go free. In other words, it's a picture of Christ, substitutionary atonement. Jesus Christ is the bird that had to die so that we might live and be cleansed. And so David is praying for the Lord to apply Christ to him. Justify me, he's saying. Help me to experience this. Take my guilt away in the blood of Jesus. Wash me in the blood of Jesus Christ. Clothe me with his righteousness. I shall be whiter than snow. He's praying that the Lord would apply again the benefits of redemption to him. In verse 8, David asks for renewed faith or unstopped ears. Verse 8, make me hear. Notice that. Make me hear. Hear what? Joy and gladness. Make me to hear the good news, the gospel, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Lord, renew faith in me and help me to hear again the good news of the gospel and to believe it. Verse 9, David asks for, it's really the central point of the whole psalm. He, he simply prays for forgiveness. He prays that the Lord would forget his sin, that he wouldn't hold it against him is the idea. Look at Verse 9, hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. This is the same thing as David praying, Lord, remove my guilt and my sin as far as the east is from the west. Lord, take my guilt and my sin and trample it in the mud of the earth under your feet. Forget my sins. Hide your face from them. Cast them into the depths of the sea. Cast them behind your back. Blot out my sins like you blot out the clouds so that the sun shines again. Psalm 32, verse 1, cover my transgressions, for blessed is the man whose sins are covered. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, quoting Jeremiah 31, 34, the Lord promises in the new covenant that he will remember the sins of his people, their lawless deeds no more. David is praying, Lord, remember my sin no more. Do not count it against me. Remove my guilt. Verse 10, David asks for a new heart, new obedience in light of the forgiveness of sins. Create in me, he says, a clean heart, O God, an unburdened heart and a new heart, a steadfast spirit of faithfulness. Make me faithful again, Lord. Make me the kind of man who says no when temptation comes his way. And upholds the office that you have given. Make me faithful. Create me a steadfast spirit. Make me holy and righteous as you are holy and righteous. David realizes he can't do that for himself, so he's praying for it. David asks for a renewed hope of life in verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Lots of debate on how to interpret that passage. In the Bible, God's presence is related to heaven. That's where we find God's presence. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. David is praying, Lord, renew in me a sense of the gift of eternal life. Renew my hope for eternal life. On what basis? Because you've moved my guilt and my condemnation and you've forgiven me of my sins. 
Help me to receive this mercy that you give in the gospel. And then finally, verse 12, David asked for restoration of spiritual abundance, reconciliation with the God of heaven. Look at how he puts it in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me. Uphold me by your generous spirit, your willing spirit. It's a picture of reconciliation. It's a picture of love and joy and fellowship with God. And so Psalm 51 teaches us to pray for forgiveness, but it highlights to us the tender mercies, the multitude of his tender mercy, the greatness of the grace and the mercy of God that he would be so willing to forgive sins. That he forgives sins. That David, someone who does something like what David did, can come to the Lord and expect forgiveness of sins. The Lord would accept the confession of a prayer of a man like David. And a sinner like, a a man who had done the kind of sins that David had done. And that the Lord, when he hears the prayer of someone, heaps upon them these blessings. Justification, the gift of faith, the renewal and forgiveness. He hides his face from sins. He renews the heart. He renews hope for eternal life. And he restores spiritual joy. In beautiful, wonderful things that are spoken of our God in this passage. And I hope that they're encouraging to you as we go to prayer.